Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Hi, everyone. It's Aliza here on the Leave Your Mark podcast, and I am so super excited for today's episode because my special guest is my sister, Ilana Yunus. Hi. Who is actually going to interview me today. Ilana, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is actually an honor. I think I'm getting like a little starstruck. I'm not lying. Stop it. Stop it. Ilana is five years my junior. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes. I appreciate that. Yes. And we are super, super close. And we always have been, even though we were five years apart. So Ilana, take it away. Totally. I feel like you've actually given me a really challenging job by interviewing you because we are so close. And I know everything about you, except when I was kind of preparing for today because I was a little bit nervous to just go in blind. (laughs) You know, I don't know that much about your actual career. Yes, I know the bullet points. I know how amazingly successful you have been in your career and how incredibly proud I am of you. But I've really actually learned a lot about you. But what I was realizing is that your fan base or your following knows more about you professionally than I did but don't you worry, I know more about her personally. So that's what I'm here to do today because I figured that would be interesting to all of you. Yes, for sure. Okay, so let's kick it back to 1975. Or 74 when I was born. (laughs) Well, be happy. I just made you 44, which would make me 39. Amazing. Okay, I'm really really excited to be 44. You know what? I wasn't dying to be in my 40s yet either, so this is fine. (laughs) So, okay, we're going to kick it back to 1974, Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. Mommy and Daddy, there you are in Brooklyn, moved to Long Island when I was born. Yes, so that was in 79. Right. You couldn't make me 1980. (laughs) (laughs) And growing up, we lived this really normal suburban childhood in this kind of Peyton Place neighborhood of the five towns on Long Island. And we didn't know anybody who had careers like you have now. No, fashion for sure was not a career, but also any creative career. Like I didn't know anyone except people really who were doctors, lawyers, teachers. There was not anything interesting With all due respect to doctors, teachers, and lawyers. And by the way, Ilana is a lawyer. And daddy was a dentist. Yes, daddy was a dentist. But those careers were not sort of presented to us when we were in high school. So I was good in science and I was interested in art. So I thought I would combine those two things and, you know, try to be a plastic surgeon. So I went to college pre-med and majored in neurobiology and physiology because my boyfriend at the time was a neurobiology and physiology major. And I figured I would get all the notes from him. So that was my strategic play to not have to work that hard. I thought maybe he would have, maybe he would have the tests, you know, from years past that I could copy. So just so I'm understanding this correctly, you chose a major in neurobiology and physiology. Like, why didn't you just pick rocket science? Because you thought maybe you could cheat off of somebody? (laughs) No, because I thought that since he had done it and he was a year ahead of me, that I would sort of have a leg up. But didn't you break up with him? (laughs) I did break up with him. That sort of put a wrench in the plan. And then you were stuck with this major. Yes. And then it was too late. 
But you followed it through. You took your MCATs. Yes. And then it was that internship at the hospital that put you over the edge, I bet. Yes, it was the internship at the hospital. It was specifically the surgical masks and the rubber clogs and the scrubs. And you bring up Weight Watchers. It's like, I don't think I could feel any worse about myself than wearing scrubs and rubber clogs. And that, in combination, on the non-superficial side, with Grandma Hilda being sick in our home... I hated being in a hospital, and I was like, this is just not going to be my job. But Grandma Hilda gave us amazing advice throughout our entire childhood that we had to wear pants with a waistband. (laughs) Yes, she did. No elastic waist, so that means no scrubs. Yes, it's true. Because you never get full in an elastic waistband. That's a fact. So I think Grandma Hilda would have actually very much supported your career choice in fashion because she herself was quite creative. Yes, right. true. I feel like you actually know a lot more about that than I do because you spent a lot of time in her house in Brooklyn when I was just an infant. She gave me a sewing machine for my third birthday, which I used to create clothes for Barbie. Well, nobody has a better wardrobe than Barbie. We know that. (laughs) (laughs) If only Mattel was hiring (laughs) three-year-olds. Exactly, exactly. So... How did mommy and daddy react when you did a complete about face after spending three years in college studying for the MCATs, mommy and daddy, you know, pulling whatever they could find to get you an amazing internship with a plastic surgeon in the neighborhood and kind of thinking, our daughter is going to be a doctor. Yeah, it was definitely a buzzkill. I mean, the truth is that I didn't really have the epiphany like, oh my God, I want to work in fashion until it was, I I really remember this because I had bought in high school Models Manual, the book by Arthur Elgort, who's a famous fashion photographer. And it was like my cool, like, I love fashion. Like here, look at my coffee table book, like moment. And I took it to college because I thought it would look really cool, like on a coffee table in my dorm or my apartment later on. And one day I was just flipping through it and I was older at that point. So I was like, oh, I read fashion magazines. I look at mastheads. I get there are people that have these jobs. And it was from that book that I was like, I really want to work in fashion. And then telling mommy and daddy, I mean, the truth is, you know, I mean, they're both so different in the way they react to things. I would say that in general, daddy was always way cooler than mommy. I could not agree more. (laughs) And kind of like whatever makes you happy. Like, I love you. You're amazing. If you want to work in fashion, go for it. And mommy was like, what do you mean? What are you going to do? What's your plan? Like had 50 million questions of which I had zero answers. And I just said, I am going to not go backpacking in Europe after college like everyone Like you would ever backpack. Okay, I would not backpack, but I would go to Europe for sure. That makes more sense. And stay in a hotel (laughs) (laughs) while everyone else backpacked. Not even a hostel. (laughs) No, not even a hostel. And I thought, you know what? I'll buckle down and I'll get an internship. So that's when I applied for my summer internships after college to the magazines. I remember you coming home that summer after you had graduated and... I had just finished ninth grade. Oh, wow. And no, that's a total lie. We're really bad at math, you guys. So you have to bear with us. No, I'm five years younger. So I was finishing my junior year. (laughs) Wow. That's super close. Totally close. Totally the same thing. But I remember when you came home and it was so amazing to have this force back in my life. And I remember my friends being so excited that you were home also because we all always looked up to you. You weren't just like the cool older sister. You always looked like you were going somewhere better and different (laughs) than everyone else. That's funny. I didn't know that. And I remember you commuting into the city, how miserable it was, Mm -hmm. but you did it. You were really like working girl, like a commuter. I mean, I was so grateful. So I got, I applied for internships I was a little bit snotty, I have to say, because I applied only to Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, W, and L for my internships. But you ended up at Bazaar. I know, but 
that could have easily not happened, right? Pre-med resume, zero experience. Why on earth are they going to hire me as an accessories intern? And I have to give props to Richard Sinnott, who was the accessories director at the time, because he was the one that was super open-minded to the fact that I was coming from a different perspective. And it's so interesting because he really had such foresight because now I feel that people really look for somebody who comes from a different background and has a different perspective because you can bring a new eye to whatever it is that field is. Mm -hmm. So you started at Harper's and then to New York Magazine simultaneously. You picked that one up, right? Yes, I've kind of blocked that out a little bit. But yes, I was was full-time at Harper's Bazaar right after college. And then I got this opportunity from actually from Sasha Charnin Morrison, whose stepmother was the fashion director of New York Magazine. So Sasha was at Harper's Bazaar. Her stepmother was at New York Magazine. And she told me that her stepmother was looking for an intern. So I carved out Fridays to go to New York Magazine. It was a very hellacious experience, not because of her stepmother, (laughs) but because of the fashion director at the time or the fashion market director. I can't even remember her title. She was highly abusive. However, it was still great to get another title on my resume. So it is New York Magazine and it is a stamp. Yes. And sometimes you have to collect your stamps on your passport. Yes. At 2 a.m. in the fashion closet. Yes. And then you ended up at Marie Claire. I ended up at Marie Claire because Richard from Harper's Bazaar picked up the phone and basically said that if they do not hire me, he will kill them. Like in those words. (laughs) And I was so grateful because obviously, you know, there's a million girls who would want that job. And yeah, I got the job at Marie Claire in the accessories department and I was there for two years. And from there, you went on to Donna Karen and DKNY. Yes. And then... It just launched. No, I mean, it hardly just launched. I mean, I went on, I was feeling stifled in magazines. I did try to get other jobs, more senior jobs in magazines. I interviewed with a bunch of different people who all seemed like they were going to cut me up into little pieces if I worked for them. And I decided that I really need to pivot. And maybe being an editor was not going to be in my cards. And, you know, I spoke to these PR people all day long. I knew who I liked to work with and who I didn't. And I thought maybe I could do that job. So a position opened up at DKNY in accessories. It was a PR coordinator job or assistant PR coordinator job. And I had an editor from Town & Country. I believe it was Gretchen Gunlock. And actually, Sabrina is now friends with her daughter, which is really funny. And I asked Gretchen if she could call over to DKNY and recommend me because I knew that when they see my resume, they're going to be like, why would we hire this girl? She has zero PR experience. And I needed that sort of credibility. So what did you know about PR? Because that was also kind of like a foreign concept. Listen, PR people emailed me and called me. People still called back in the day all day long to say, what are you working on? What accessory stories are you working on? Can we send over some handbags? Can we send shoes? I would contact different brands to call in product for different shoots. And it seemed relatively easy. I mean, especially because I knew who annoyed me. I knew the publicists who annoyed me. And when they followed up too many times, it's so funny. There was a tweet recently, Courtney Forrest, who'll probably hear this, you know, really finding that balance of how many times to follow up with someone once you've emailed them before you become annoying. That's like a skill. I think that is an art. And what is the answer to that? Oh, it's hard. I think you've got to give people a minute to like really recognize that people are really busy. They're getting hundreds of emails a day. And just because you send an email, you know, at noon on a Monday doesn't mean you're going to hear back on Monday and maybe not even Tuesday. I would say give it two to three days before you send a follow-up unless something you're working on is super urgent or your boss needs an answer, then you have to maybe walk upstairs to another floor to go see someone in person or call them or send a text or DM them or whatever form of communication, smoke signals, whatever. (laughs) I mean, however you get in touch with someone, but you can't stalk because people are so busy. Right. 
And I do think that Monday, as a general matter, unless something is on fire, is a very bad day to email someone. Yes, it is a very bad day. So is Friday. So what year was it when you joined Donna? I joined Donna Karen in 1998. Okay. And I left at the end of 2015. I know how near and dear your time was working at Donna Karen and how that became your next kind of extended family. Yes. So let's just assume for purposes of this conversation that things went swimmingly and we're now in 2009. Okay. <laughs> the year that DKNY PR girl was born. Yes. How did you come up with this idea? So remember 2009 was Gossip Girl season two. I do have a daughter named Serena Lilly. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Which is not for Gossip Girl, but was a very bad coincidence. <laughs> it's a great coincidence. You know, we, as a brand, we had a Facebook page. A lot of fashion brands had Facebook pages, but no one really had what we call, you know, a social media strategy. And marketing and communications, you know, we were a very big group under Patty Cohen and love Patty, love Patty. And we, you know, we sat around sort of brainstorming how we would embark on social media and that there was this new platform, Twitter, or new to fashion, I should say, that we sort of had to come up with a strategy for. And Patty, especially, I had seen her, you know, spend her entire career crafting Donna's voice and protecting Donna's voice. And in my role underneath Patty, it was also my job to make sure that the press releases were on point and the sound bites were perfect. And that's how fashion was run back then. It was, you know, spokespeople. There was not really this sort of open forum and everyone, brands especially, held their cards close to their chest. So when we spoke about Twitter, I was thinking, okay, well, if the handle is Donna Karen, then people are going to assume she's speaking. And then who is writing these tweets? And what are people going to think she's saying? And if someone responds and then this person who's responding on behalf of the brand, like, what is that going to lead to? And I just kind of intuitively knew that it was going to be a disaster. So I just said, well, you know, why does anyone have to know who's tweeting? Like, why can't it be this like made up character um, you know, we could call it DKNY PR girl, like Gossip Girl. And it was just really a simple concept and really a way to have it be anonymous and have it also be known that it wasn't Donna herself speaking. So that was really the reason behind it. And everyone was like, oh, that's that's a cool idea. Let's just run it by legal, of course. Of course. We like to weigh in on things. <laughs> yes, you do. And Lynn Ustan, who was our general counsel at the time, Super conservative. Love you, Lynn, but very conservative. Always thinking about what, you know, 8,500 things are going to go wrong with this concept. And she said, okay, this is fine, but only one person can do it. And Aliza, since you're, you know, the SVP of global communications, you should be the one to tweet and no one else. And I was like, okay, no idea what that means. Sure, I will do it. And we had an agency at the time called Morpheus Media that's no longer... And they sort of set up the account for us and taught me how to like log on. And they said, you know, send us your tweets. When you want to tweet, we'll tweet on your behalf. So I like wrote something and I sent them the tweet and started to watch sort of them post it. And then maybe like one or two people would respond and then they would respond. And I was like, Oh, no, 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 no. This is not going to work for me. Give me the login. I no longer want you guys involved. I will handle it. I didn't even know that. And I can only imagine you cringing watching this play out before your eyes. There was no way I was going to let anyone do it. So I took it on and it became a total obsession. I was obsessed, honestly. But what I find so interesting, you know, TKYPR girl was this 20-something single girl living in the city. Obviously, the whole concept, I'm sure, being the brand is young. Well, you see, you're assuming that, right? We never said how old she was. We never said anything other than a PR girl living in New York City, right? That's it. I mean, maybe girl makes you think of someone in their 20s. And in truth, people did think this was an assistant who was tweeting on behalf of the brand. Yeah, it was a mom on the Upper East Side with a four-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter. Yes. 
and you are kind of living this like dual life. Well, I didn't think of it as dual. In the beginning, I really didn't think of it as myself. Like it was my personality, but I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm DK, my PR girl. I was thinking this is my job. I'm just tweeting, by the way, doing this on top of my day job. So I had like a separate screen dedicated to this so I could watch what was happening online. But then I realized it's just a lot easier for me to just be me and just tweet how I think. And then it sort of morphed into me because then it just was me, basically. So I didn't, you know, when people talk about like, oh, well, how did you come up with a voice? It's like, well, I didn't. I just opened my mouth and the words came out. Yeah. And honestly, I, you know, I get a lot of credit for the voice and I shouldn't because really I didn't do anything other than be myself. Right. But it was this almost phenomenon because it was a real life mystery. Who is this person? Yes. So it really was. And I will tell you. I remember, you know, when I hit 200 followers and I remember when I hit 10,000 followers and I remember when an editor from a newspaper that's no longer in existence emailed Patty saying that she's horrified by PR girl and how could Donna Karen, this heritage brand, let this quote PR girl be the voice online and why would anyone care about her hair color or her manicures or her lunches with editors And that she thinks it's a travesty. But people were obsessed. People were obsessed. But then when you get an email like that to your boss. I get it. No bueno. No bueno. But nonetheless, that was one person's opinion. Yes. And thankfully, Patty didn't share that opinion. Right. And thankfully, Mark Weber, who was the CEO at the time, didn't quite realize what I was doing yet. (laughs) So so he didn't stop me. Uh, He was very supportive when he figured it out. But it's hard to understand. People would be like, what are you, what is that Twitter thing? Are you tweeting? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, tweeting. I am tweeting. But you know, people love to talk about things with such authority when they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So it was anonymous for two years. And then fashion brands started to pop up. Of course, over time, you know, after came Oscar PR girl and Hugo Boss PR girl and all these other PR girls, which just led to a lot of different personalities on Twitter, which was great for fashion. And in 2011, it just became so annoying to have it be a secret that I went to Patty and I was like, do you think possibly we could sort of come up with a new strategy. And we were talking about this. And then coincidentally, Teen Vogue had reached out to me, literally called me one day and I picked up the phone and they're like, we would love to have TKY PR girl come speak. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, she's anonymous. And they were like, well, you know, this is like a really important conference and maybe she could come out at our conference. And I was like, well, let me get back to you and just, you know, see internally. So I said to Patty, I'm like, we have this request from Teen Vogue what do you think? Do you think that I could do it? And we could just like reveal me as the person. And she's like, what are you going to do? Go up on stage and be like, hi, everyone. I'm DKMY PR girl. She's like, that'll be so anticlimactic. So then I don't know what happened. Felita Harris, who was the head of sales at Donna Karen, her sister, Tracy Baker Simmons. I remember her. Yes. Is a producer and Felita was also very supportive of DKMR PR girl coming out because from her perspective, Sachs and Bergdorf and Neiman's would come to market and they would say like, who is DKMR PR girl? Because by that point, it was like 380,000 followers Unbelievable. and it was still anonymous. And the fact that anyone kept that secret is insane, but they did. And Felita wanted to sort of leverage the personality for the brand in a different way. So we met with Tracy And we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to do like a behind the scenes of Fashion Week video and have me come out in that way? So we shot this video and basically I posted it on YouTube on the day. Remember, I was going to visit Ramapo for Jonathan for camp. Yes. (laughs) And you had no service. Well, first of all, Adam Lilly, who was in marketing, he was in charge of YouTube. And I said, Adam, we have to upload this on Saturday. Because it was before, I think the Teen Vogue conference was Sunday. So I had to get this out on Saturday so I can go to Teen Vogue on Sunday and speak. And he's like, oh, I'm going to Texas. He's like, it's super easy. I'll send you screenshots. It's never easy, ever. So we're in the car driving to Ramapo and 
I'll never forget. I like upload it and it says like missing plugin. And I'm like, what the fuck is a plugin? (laughs) I still don't know what a plugin is. I still don't know what a plugin is. And I text him and I'm like, Adam, I I did something wrong. Like, I don't know how to do this. Please help me. (laughs) And so he walked me through it. God bless. And then I upload it and I like craft my tweet. I wish I remembered what the tweet was. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere, but basically saying like, I am DQ my PR girl or something and posted it and then drove into camp and lost all reception for four hours. You literally went radio silent. Radio silent. And I just like dropped a bomb on the internet and then went to go tour camp. (laughs) Because that really is you. (laughs) This is my day job. Get it done. But now let me get back to my real job of being a mom. Yes. I would say that I was not very patient during that tour. I mean... Who is patient during a camp tour, honestly? I know. It's true. They really took their time, though. I was like, okay, we know it's the fucking pool. We can see it's a pool. I need you to point out that that's the pool. We know it's a gorgeous camp. Yes. You have my money. I'm just here for formality. Exactly. So when we got back in the car and I just told David to drive, just like get my cell service back. And then the tweets, I mean, it was thousands upon thousands upon that. I couldn't even believe what had happened when I was on this camp tour? You made history. I mean, do you realize that? I mean, I don't know about making history. You did. You were the first. You were, you know, the first woman on the moon, but not. <laughs> no disrespect that, to whoever that was. I think that's a slight exaggeration. But the point was, this was this new kind of wave of how fashion brands were moving into, you know, social media and how... They were managing a business from a totally different perspective. It was gone, like, you know, just the idea of a brick and mortar. And here we're going to tweet about random things that are really just important to you and probably, well, to me. (laughs) And we're going to sell clothes and bags and shoes based on that. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Well, it was really about, I think, humanizing a brand, right? like giving it a voice and a personality other than the designer. And I think that that's what was really different because, again, the spokespeople were very, very controlled. And you really didn't have anyone speaking on behalf of a brand except the designer and or the head of PR who would be the, quote, spokesperson. So it was different. And it was an incredible time also in fashion because brands were starting to realize the power of digital and how they can build these communities and have these fan bases that were going to really support them in a different way than just buying stuff. It was like really building just a fan base that was highly engaged, that wanted to really be like your greatest cheerleader. You know, I think you also have this unbelievable ability to compartmentalize like (laughs) the different aspects of your life. Yes, I do. Because while, you know, you were going on this new voyage as the KNYPR girl in 2009, we also lost daddy that year. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And so TKNYPR girl launched in May and daddy passed away in September. And if you listen to the voice, it's unwavering. Like, I can't even do that right now. (laughs) I know. I kind of, you're right. I mean, I kind of just talked the whole thing into a box, a mental box of like, well, that's my job. And I'm just going to continue to do my job, even though we were going through like the worst time in our life, basically. But it really is, is a testament to like the consummate professional you are. Thank you. Or just that you know, I'm a cold bitch. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Trust me. I know that that's not true. But what's funny is that like, I mean, people might think that about you actually. (laughs) You know, I get, it's funny. I try, I am so friendly in real life and online and I still get the, oh, but I was afraid. I was afraid of you kind of thing. You know what? I don't think that Anybody for one second who meets you would doubt your warmth or sincerity or authenticity. I think that people are intimidated by you simply because you're so impressive. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't I don't think of it that way. I think probably it's just I'm very direct. So Yes, we know that. Yes. 
So are you. So are you. I learned from the best. I don't think you learned it. I think you are that way. And I think when you are direct as a person and you have a loud voice, I mean, listen, just to let people understand, like we grew up in a household, we were fully empowered to not speak back to our parents, but basically, yes, because we had a very strong voice in our household. Yes. And that was definitely encouraged by mommy. Yeah. I mean, it's actually kind of remarkable if you think about it. She was basically a child bride, moved from her parents' house into a house with her husband, never worked, and raised the two of us to be professionals, always be able to stand on your own two feet, and really have a voice. And she's a tiny little person, but she's like this. She's mighty. She is mighty and she is fierce. So definitely part learned. And I think, you know, really fostered as the years went on. Yeah, no, it's true. But I think that that's, I mean, I joke all the time, like people, you know, if you don't want the truth, don't ask me what I think, because so true. I'm not afraid to deliver that. Which includes, like, do you look fat in those jeans? Yes, you do look fat in those jeans. Like, yeah, I do not ask you that anymore. <laughs> <if> you <notice. laughs> yes, well, the truth hurts, right? So, yeah, I think that that's probably why I sort of get a little bit of a scarier reputation. But you're not scary. Not at all. And what's so amazing is like Jenna, for instance, Jenna Blackwell, Aliza's former assistant, who I am just dying to make a lifetime movie about her whole story. (laughs) She found you on Twitter. Yes. And you hired a girl from the middle of Texas out of obscurity. Yes. And now she is living her best life with Lawrence and Pepper in Brooklyn. Yes. And true. It's all true. But, you know, that's what's so magical about Twitter. I mean, she's one of several people that I hired from Twitter. I've hired interns from Twitter. I've met amazing people through the platform. I've reconnected with people that I wouldn't normally speak to on a regular basis. And I think that, you know, I mean, I'm grateful to Twitter for creating this sort of universe. I mean, as much as you could say, oh, the Internet is horrible and There's so much abuse online and certainly there's plenty of abuse on Twitter. But I think if you know how to use it correctly and you know how to use it sort of for good, you can get so much out of it. And I think you really did because I don't even know if it was the beginning. I mean, it certainly wasn't the beginning of Twitter, but it was in my mind the beginning of Twitter because like most things, you know, you kind of originally show me the ropes. And so Twitter was new to me. And all of a sudden you had this Twitter family and you met these incredible people who not only became a part of your life, became a part of my life in, you know, mommy is ma to everyone. Yes. <laughs> and it really, you know, it's social media for good. It is. It is. And I don't know, it's, it was six years of me as the PR girl and which led to leave your mark. You know, Amanda Englander, she was following and she called one day and she said, I follow you online and I think there's a book in here somewhere. And I was at my desk at work and I said, thank you so much, (laughs) but I am not writing a book. And she was absolutely relentless. Well, I actually remember you calling me to say, somebody called me today to write a book. And I said, you're going to write a book? I've never even seen you read a book. (laughs) (laughs) But then you wrote this book. I I mean, like a vampire. You worked all day. PA president, if you don't know what PA means, that's parent association. So forget about what Aliza does in an office. Aliza has sat as the parent association president and the executive board of our kids' school for, what, eight years? Yeah. You, like, defied all, like, terms. (laughs) (laughs) And you worked. You took care of your family. And then when everybody was asleep, you wrote a book. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. You know, I didn't want, I could just picture, you know, a lot of people would probably go to Starbucks on Saturday and say, I'm going to leave for a few hours. Like your kids would ever let you do that. Never. (laughs) And also I didn't want to hear like, oh, mommy's never here. Mommy's writing her book. I just didn't want to hear it. So I figured, you know what? I'll do it at night. And honestly, some of my best work is at night. 
And, you know, I had David make that spreadsheet where I understood how many words per day I needed to track. And it wasn't that bad. It was like 600 words a day or something like that. And if I was inspired that night and I did double, then I would give myself the night off. Of course, never writing on Scandal Thursday nights because we had to live tweet. I miss that so much. It was so much fun. I know. But it is nice to be able to go out in on a Thursday night again. <laughs> I know. It's true. Lynn Pella, when we were talking, when we were doing her episode. I loved that episode. I know. But I loved how they loved it as much as we loved it. Right. That's what's so special. It's like it wasn't just like fans tweeting. It was like the cast tweeting with the fans. And they miss it as much as we do, which I think is incredible. So you wrote this book yes, that has probably, not probably, it has inspired thousands and thousands of young people while they're in college, younger, on the brink of their careers, in the middle of careers that are kind of stalled. I mean, how does that feel? The best part, you know, people email me through my website and LeaveYourMark.com? No, AlizaLick.com. Oh, my bad. (laughs) Ilana has never emailed me through my website. I mean, there's really no reason to. No. Um, When they say they've gotten jobs or it's helped them crush an interview or it's helped them get confidence to negotiate their salary, that's like really like I don't even need to make a dollar on the book. Like that is all I need because that is the reason I wrote it. Like I wanted to empower people to really just do the best work they could and to appreciate where they've gotten and to also fight for what they want. It's so remarkable and it is so powerful. Thank you. And just to backtrack a little bit, you left Donna Karen DKNY in 2015 mm-hmm. and you sort of, you know, this was on the heels of you launching your book that May. Yes. And you started doing consulting work. Yes. So the book came out May, and then the company started morphing. So Patty stepped down in June, and Donna Karen stepped down in July. And I was left in the office with my amazing team feeling like the soul had been ripped out of the company. And it was also a time where, you know, the book was fresh and new, and I felt like, okay, I've had 17 amazing years here. Maybe now is a great time to just put a bow on it, call it a day. So left at the end of the year, started consulting, absolutely hated consulting, felt totally alone, felt like just it was just like not working at all. And did that for 10 months and then decided that I wanted to be part of a team again. And that's when I went back in-house. Right. And That is something about you. You are the house where people are always over. Come one, come all. You love to be surrounded by people. You really love the camaraderie. You love a collaboration. I do. And I remember that time when you were consulting. It was boring. It was boring, but also it just felt like I wasn't working toward anything. And it's interesting because when I left my full-time role in March this year, I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to consult again. What's it going to be like this time? And I think I've cracked it because now I feel like it's more about me being immersed in existing teams for clients right? than me just working out of my, you know, working out of Soho House by myself. And that, that's been totally different. You seem so happy, so engaged, and you're in a great rhythm. But I think that's also what is so inspiring about you and your career. I know in your book, you say, if there's no ladder, you build it. Mm -hmm. You're constantly rebuilding your own ladder. And you're constantly figuring out a way to kind of make it work for you, for your career of what inspires you to do amazing work and a balance with your home life. I think that what is important and what the secret is, is to not be afraid to fail at something publicly because I wrote an article for Forbes on the fact that my quote entrepreneurship was a failure. You know, I documented that. And I think when you're able to say to people, you know what, I tried that. It didn't work. 
that's what allows you to move on. I think when you try to like cover it up and like, oh, well, I don't want to, I have to do this because I told everyone I'm consulting. So I, you know, I have to continue down this path of sort of unsatisfied work life. This way it's like, okay, I publicly can say like, I totally failed at that and I'm going to pivot now. So I'm very much for sharing the journey because I also think that's how people understand what you're trying to do. And this way people can help you do that. And I think that's what people really love about you and what really resonates in people is your authenticity. You are transparent. There's really no errors about what you've got going on. And (laughs) you've got a lot going on. And just as your sister and kind of seeing you evolve through your childhood and life, I don't even know that people would actually believe that you suffered from a really bad speech impediment as a child. I know. It's crazy. And, you know, Dr. Haskell, Donna Cooperman, like, they should listen to this. They would be so proud of where you've gone and how you speak. It's insane. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's crazy. So for everyone listening, I stuttered basically my whole life, not like full-time stuttering, but more in stressful situations. Now, stressful situations being, what's your name? I'd be like, uh, and I convinced myself that I couldn't say vowels. It was a whole mental thing, but it was really debilitating starting with oral book reports in elementary school to any sort of presentation I had to give in college. And then later on, just thinking about any of these public speaking things that I began to do for DQYPR Girl, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And then somehow it just, I don't know, I just sort of overcame it. But you worked so hard at it. I mean, I think the way you're describing it right now is almost like you willed it away. I think I did will it away. I worked hard at it when I was younger, but I didn't go to doctors, you know, as an adult. No, no, no. But Even as a teenager, you know, mommy was taking you to Donna and then you were driving home and eating Antamon's maple walnut cake in the car with two forks. That was a great day, actually. We were actually talking about that yesterday on the way out here (laughs) because we passed an Antamon's truck. You know what? It's underrated easy to eat an entire Antamon's cake. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. It's really putting the fork down. That is the real challenge. It's totally. But let's not get off track with this because I think this is really important for people to know about you because you kind of make it look like it's really simple or it has been simple for you, but it's been anything but. You know, I just don't take it all that seriously. You know me, I'm a to-do list person. If if a challenge gets thrown at me, it's like added to my list. I kind of don't react at all. But I think that is a powerful message to send to people. It is. I think so too, because you can really let it take over. And, you know, I've had a lot of curveballs thrown at me and I just don't let them rule me. Right. You show them. You show those curveballs who's boss. (laughs) (laughs) so it's thanksgiving yes happy thanksgiving by the way yes well this will be coming out much later so it will not be thanksgiving well no but i do think it is appropriate for you to share the things that you are thankful for okay i'm thankful for you avi (laughs) right Um, back at you no i I mean i'm grateful for first of all and i posted this today i am actively grateful on a daily basis. Like I do not wait around for Thanksgiving to show up for me to be like, I'm so thankful. No, I literally wake up every day and I'm like, what am I grateful for today? I am grateful for things like no humidity and a good hair day. I mean, it doesn't have to be all serious, right? It shouldn't be. Yeah. So, okay. Lana's moving around a lot. Sorry. We are in the car, so it's hard. It's very cramped here. (laughs) So I'm grateful for my family. I mean, I think we have an incredible family. I agree. A very boisterous, loud, obnoxious family you who been... is amazing. We do. And you have incredible kids. I have incredible kids. I have an incredible husband. And I think that everyone does their part. Like, everyone works at it. It's not easy. And, you know, it's exhausting. And, of course, the two fur babies now. But I'm grateful for everyone's health and I'm grateful for just 
opportunities that pop up. And also, I'm grateful to get past things that are negative. Right. And doing it with a smile, with red lips all along the way. Yes, because red lipstick makes everything better. It does. When I saw you before without lipstick on, I was like, wait, what is going on? (laughs) That's only because I showered, guys. I do not shower with red lipstick. So I'm curious, what would be five words you would use to describe yourself? Um, five words. Or rather, if somebody asked me five words to describe you, mm-hmm. what would you want me to say? That I am sincere. Agree. That I'm funny. Not as funny as me, but totally funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I'm confident. Yes, you are. Direct. Sometimes too. And very stylish. You are. Thank you. <laughs> you are. I, I would like you all to know that it is Thanksgiving Day. I am wearing jeans, a t-shirt, a cashmere throw, and Ugg slippers. And my sister, Miss Elisa Licht, is wearing tights, a skirt, bodysuit, and knee-high Stuart Weitzman boots. Over the day, actually. To sit in her house to eat turkey. <laughs> well, you know. So, yes, stylish you are. Thank you. Thank you. But I would note that that is an expandable waistband today. <laughs> Grandma Hilda would not approve. She would not approve. She would not approve. But mommy may let you know that. I do have to say it was strategic. I was like, you know what? I don't want to be full today. Okay. Let's just give a few words of career advice to some people. Because I think that around Thanksgiving time... A lot of people recently graduated from college, still kind of figuring out where they're going with their careers. So as somebody who has interviewed many people for positions, Mm -hmm. what would you say are the three things that stand out to you most as negatives that people should never do on an interview? Well, let's start with lie. So I recently, not recently, maybe a year ago, interviewed someone for a position and they essentially removed four companies from their resume and rolled it into their current company. No. So they said they were working five years at their current company. And the only reason I figured this out was because they were dumb enough to share their reference. And when I called the reference, the person was like, oh, she's leaving already? She just got there. And I said, no, she's been there five years. And she said, no, she's been there three months. And then she made me read the resume to her. And she's like, oh, my God, she's literally removed. So do not lie on your resume. Do not lie about your age. That's number one. Number two is do your research. Do your research about the person you're meeting with and the company. So I forgot what I was saying. Don't lie. Yes, don't lie. You will always get caught. You will get caught. And if you don't get caught right away, you will get caught later. Which is probably way worse because then you get fired. Well, I also think it's, you know, there was another girl that I came across, I won't say where, and I realized that her resume said she graduated one year, but her LinkedIn said a totally different year. So on her resume, she made herself five years older than her LinkedIn. And I don't know why people would be dumb enough to like not sync those things, but it just, not that she got fired or that I told on her, but it's just, you really show the kind of person you are and how manipulative you are when you do things like that. So At least if you're going to do that, be really slick about it. Right. Like in Younger. Right. Like in Younger. Great example. Oh, such a good show. Um, Really, really nurture your network. Your relationships are really gold. And they're all you have, essentially, because at the end of the day, thousands of people apply for a position. And how you're going to get it is when your network really rallies behind you and really puts you forward for those positions. But what happens when it's your first job and you don't have a network yet? You have to find a way to connect with people, whether that means that you ask friends if they know anyone. You have to go down the chain of command, sort of, as far as networking, but also attending different events, going to different conferences. Like you have to put yourself in a position to meet people. So build your own network if you don't have one. You have to build your own network. There's no other way. You have to. And listen, I was recently talking to someone who is from Alabama 
who ended up getting a job in fashion as a buyer. And I said to her, I'm like, wait, how did you land from Alabama to a job as a buyer at Barney's, no less? And she said that she just, she came to New York and she just networked like crazy and made it happen for herself. And I think that if you have the drive to do that, you're going to get it done. Right. So on that note, what does a successful kind of workplace or career relationship look like to you? You know me. I am always best friends with my team. Yes. All in. Yes. All in. And I still am so super close with everyone that I've worked with for the past decade, basically. It's a mutual respect. And I think that recognizing that none of our names are on the door. Right. So I've never been someone to take it so seriously that I feel like I need to crush the people underneath me because I'm the super important person. Like I feel very much a part of the team. I feel very much in the trenches. And I also recognize like it's a job. Like we are not saving lives. So I'm super laid back about really important daytime activities like getting your nails done, hair color, haircuts, etc. Yes, those are important. And because I'm chill about all those things and essentially very open with the team, everyone will be like, hey, I'm coming in later. I'm going to get, you know, I have to go pick something up or I'm going to get my hair done. I'll be back. I'm on email. And I just always let everyone kind of do whatever they wanted, which makes for a really lovely work environment. And I think that if I were to interview, you know, your girls, like your core team from over the years, I think that they would all say that you also give them wings. Yes. That's very important because I was given wings. And I would say also one of the things that I've heard in the past is that I'm very calm under pressure. So when things blow up, as they often do, I don't freak out. So therefore, I'm not making them freak out. And I think that that's important. And then, you know, I also think that being really decisive is part of being a good boss because the people underneath you are looking for leadership and they're looking for you to have the answers. And if you are someone that wavers constantly about your decision, you're not going to instill confidence in your team. Right. So that's, you know, I'm, I think I'm decisive by nature. So it's just, you are, you are so daddy's girl in that (laughs) sense. (laughs) Totally. What has been your favorite thing about your career thus far? I would say really being able to innovate at Donna Karen. Not only forget about the DKNY PR girl part, which was clearly a great example, but even creating Donna Karen Atelier, which was our high evening collection from scratch, you know, being able to get the budget to do that, to be able to get the permission to do that, to have people support me like Patty and Mark Weber at the time and Donna, you know, being able to do things like that is such a privilege that I do not take for granted. And I love building things from scratch and then seeing what happens. And I think when you work at a company where they embrace innovation and they also don't penalize you for failing at something, it makes for an environment where you're really willing to take chances and see what happens. And then if it works, amazing. And if it doesn't work, okay, fail fast, move on. And that is the environment that I grew up in. I like that. Fail fast and move on. So speaking just to the opposite of that, what do you think one of the biggest challenges you've faced in your career has been? Well, I would say that in general, I feel so now we're getting close to the end of 2019. I think that PR is no longer what it used to be. And I have had to kind of evolve and change. You know, you can't always sort of lean on what you used to be. Like, I am not a publicist anymore. I am not DKMPR girl anymore. So creating what that new narrative is and being comfortable with it, right? It's not always comfortable to be like, wow, those things are gone. Like, what am I now? And that's why in the book even, I talk about last name syndrome because you cannot rely on your brand, your company's name to feel like that's who you are. Like you are not Elisa from DKNY. You are not so-and-so from Vogue anymore. Like people have to have their own personal brands to be able to really know who they are and what their value is without the companies they work for because those jobs aren't going to always be around. So 
I would say creating the new narrative has been a challenge and making sure that I'm happy doing it. And I would say this is the first year that I am. Because as we know, when I left Donna Karen, it was not rainbows and roses. And, you know, aside from that, I think just evolving what my skill set is. Because again, I think publicity, while it's important and it's still necessary, it's not something that is the same anymore and it doesn't add the same value anymore. Like it used to be that you got press on something and then you had sales. Like that's not really a thing anymore So for brands. In the interest of transparency, I really had no idea what a podcast was. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm actually embarrassed to admit this for thousands of people to hear. I mean, I know it's an app on my phone, but I had never listened to one. I really, you're actually the first podcast I've ever listened to. I'm so honored. Yes, we spend time together on the treadmill. So I thank you for providing, you know, content to make me move. <laughs> but... How did it come to be that you decided to do this? Next rung in the ladder? Um, interesting, but I was asked by the Daily Front Row to moderate a panel that they were doing at the Coterie trade show for influencer marketing. And one of the influencers on my panel is this girl, Grace Atwood, who I've known for a couple of years, probably since 2009 or 2010. And when I saw her, it was like catching up. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh my God, you have to do my podcast. And I said, sure, I'll do your podcast. Also, by the way, I don't listen to podcasts either. So I'm like, I will totally do that. I have no idea even what she's asking me to do, but I will do it. I had done a few, but that's really the truth. So then she just asked me, she's like, wait. And she literally said, wait. She's like, why don't you have a podcast? And I just looked at her and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Am I supposed to have a podcast? So then I like went home that night and I started Googling like how to do a podcast or like podcasts. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting because A, you know, I've always wanted to be a talk show host. So this is a great way <laughs> to be a talk show host without having a show. And secondly, I had been playing mentally around with like what's next for Leave Your Mark. I had spoken to my editor about possibly a second book. I had pitched some ideas that she was interested in for fiction. Oh, I know. But then she asked me for pages. And that's when I sort of was like, oh, I don't actually want to do that. <laughs> it's going to take a really long time to do that. So I thought podcasts are more immediate. And even though, yes, we're recording this on Thanksgiving and it'll come out, you know, in a couple months from now, it's still super immediate when you want it to right. be. And also it's voice, which is nice. And it's engaging with different people. And I think, you know, I'm really fortunate to have the network that I do, and I have some pretty remarkably successful friends. You do. <laughs> I do, and I'm grateful for them. And I thought, you know, what a great way to share career advice by sort of tapping into that network and really pulling out tactical career advice from everyone. So I literally was just like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. And then I did it. <laughs> and here we are on the podcast. And here we are. But it's not just career advice. This is fully life advice. Yes, of course. It is life advice. It really is. Whether you are an attorney such as myself, or you're a stay-at-home mom, or you are a single girl or guy or whoever, I mean, I feel like my kids actually learn things from you just that you say in passing that you don't even realize that you're giving them kind of like these life skills. Well, thank you. I mean, what's interesting about the podcast is, you know, the book in my mind was geared toward a very specific demographic, right? It was definitely college age, young professional. The podcast is not. The podcast is any age. No, it's for everyone. And I realize the people I'm interviewing are all different ages because they're all different sort of versions of like success. And that's, I think, what's really interesting, that it's completely morphed into something different. Well, I also think that your listeners are of all different ages. And also, there are men who are listening. Yeah. Why shouldn't men listen? Well, historically, when I think about the book, right, coffee cup, red lips on the cover, probably not a book that, like, a man is going to carry around. However, a real know, man would. Steven, <laughs> Ilana's husband, I don't even know if you know this, he texted me last week 
He said one of his coworkers. Yes, he did tell me. He was very, very proud. He's in banking. There is a banker who listens to Leave Your Mark. And he's a dad with two kids. I find that unbelievable. He is really, really enjoying it. Shout out to Brian. (laughs) (laughs) But I was very, Stephen was very excited to share that. I'm really excited to hear that. Thank you, Brian. Um, no, so I, listen, there was someone who DM me recently that they were listening to Bevy Smith's episode and Bevy is, she is so amazing. She is a force. Beyond. Oh, I could listen to her all day long. I would be so skinny if I just spent the whole day on the treadmill. With her. <laughs> <laughs> She's a force. She's a powerhouse. And they listened to Bevy's episode and decided to renegotiate their salary. Amazing. I mean, Amazing. She's so empowering. I mean, she's so empowering. And that's the thing. It's like these people, men and women that are coming on are just so, so they're brilliant and they're inspirational and they're motivational. And everyone is being really gracious about what they're sharing about sort of the bumps in the road. And I think there's just so much to learn from it. I'm learning from it. And when I listen to the people I'm interviewing, I'm like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. Or, oh my God, I'm going to do that. So it's been such a positive experience for me too. Well, I just want you to know what my takeaway has been because I had a small little work disaster yesterday. And as Elisa mentioned, I'm an attorney and it's a young associate. And he called me and I could hear in his voice that he was really nervous that he had made this mistake. And granted, no lives lost, nothing that can't be fixed. And I found myself kind of taking away what I've been listening to on your podcast. And I said, listen, it happens. I said, if you didn't make a mistake, you won't learn from it. I said, you'll never do this again. I promise you. And instantly he felt better. And I was like, oh, go me. (laughs) Mentor. You're such a mentor. That's great. I don't like when people feel bad about their workplace. No, but you know. Kind of home. It's funny. So many people don't feel that way. I really am amazed at the emails I get from readers who tell me about their workplace problems. And I'm like, it is literally an epidemic of just bad bosses. It's amazing. I mean, I've been at my firm for a little over 10 years. They're my family. And it makes a difference. You're lucky. I'm very lucky. I know that. But that makes, you know, me want to give them my best. I agree. And I think that the people you surround yourself with whether it's in the workplace or in your personal life, want to give you their best because that's who you are. You know what? We all have to strive to give everyone our best because I think life's too hard otherwise. That's why I do really feel grateful every day because I love what I do. I love who I do it with. I love who I speak to. I love my network. And even when things are not great, you can kind of just say like, well, you know what? Tomorrow's another day. Right. Well, you know what I'm really grateful for? What? Our Instagram blog, homesick.com. Oh, yes. Shameless plug. A shameless plug, but honestly, a gift to you all. (laughs) Aliza, why don't you explain what we do? Okay. So homesick.com. All spelled out one word. Yes. Is on Instagram and was inspired by Ilana's daughter, Serena, (laughs) who was very homesick in sleepaway camp. And we were at dinner one night and Ilana was telling me that she's so upset. Serena's sending home these horrible letters. I was not upset. I needed a horse tranquilizer. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I was like, oh, you're upset? This is content. Let's start an Instagram account. (laughs) And sure enough, we started it two summers ago and it grew really quickly. We're only live in the summer. We're completely seasonal. We're a seasonal Instagram account. And last summer, we grew like 9,000 followers. It's not just homesick letters. It's hysterically funny letters that kids write home and the parents send them in. So if you have like, you know, five hours to waste because you will go down the white rabbit hole of homesick.com, please feel free to check it out and you can catch up for next summer. And you should just know that we are not making fun of sad children. (laughs) (laughs) If anything, their parents are making fun of their own children and then sending them to us. And we're just adding a little, you know, commentary, if you will. (laughs) Yes. And actually, we were amazed at some of the letters we got. We were like, wow, that's kind of serious. Maybe they should call camp. Yes. But I am happy to report that Serena, thankfully, has good coping skills and is now a very happy camper. (laughs) It's great. That's really great. So yes, homesick.com is our side hustle. Check it out. 
And Ilana, thank you for doing this with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Well, thank you for having it as your idea because it was your idea. It was totally my idea. But honestly, I pictured something like not glamorous. It's not like I thought you had like this amazing like state of the art studio. I definitely did not think we'd be sitting in my car. Well, the car is the place where no one can bother us and we can lock the doors and then no children can come. I know. But it's amazing how they have sort of found us and like kind of slowly walked by just to see. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for your support. And we're out. We're out. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at alizalickxo or reach out on Twitter at alizalickt. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.